Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. Um, there's different levels to this. And you have these folks that I call cash flow ninjas. They dominate their market. They crush it. They are the folks, the go-tos. If you're going to invest in that market, in that specific area, you would know about them. If you own property, you would probably contact them to buy it. Uh, if they don't buy it and hold it, if it doesn't fit into what they're doing, they're probably just going to flip it to an investor that they know. Um, because they know all the other investors. They're literally the dominant player. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors, and welcome to a new episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Really excited to have our guest on today. He is well-known throughout the space. I'm sure you guys have listened to his podcast. MC Lobster is here. He is the cash flow ninja, and he's going to share with us today um, all that he's learned throughout his time in talking with some of the best investors in the world, You know how they allocate assets, how they do things differently. And we're going to be able to learn from him and understand how real estate's a piece of that. But really in your investing life, uh, it's a much bigger picture. So before we dig into all that, I mean, just to share a little bit about, about MC, cause he's got, he's got quite the bio here. I mean, he's husband, dad, entrepreneur, investor, and educator. He's got a passion to share how investors and business owners can create, recover, warehouse, and multiply cash flow through advanced cash flow strategies. Uh, he's written the book, The 21 Best Cash Flow Niches. I mean, he's truly the cash flow expert here. Um, and in addition to that, he has he's the president of Producers Wealth, which is a firm that assists investors and business owners to implement advanced cash flow strategies. So, so we are talking to the guy here, the ninja of cash flow. MC, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, you know, ever since uh, ever since I was on your show, gosh, I don't know, maybe a month or so now, I, we had a fantastic conversation that I knew I had to get you on. I knew you had a lot to share and a lot that aligns with, with how I think, how our investors think, and, and a lot that as we focus on this show, just educating people to make better investing decisions – I think you can help us really complete that picture. We spent a lot of time on real estate, but we know that's not the only piece of the pie. So 
Again, before we get all into that, tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, so I'm originally from South Africa. Um, I came here uh, to the U.S. in 2001. Gee whiz, time flies when you're having fun, right? I just <laughs> yeah, thought about right? that for a second. I'm like, 2001, that's, that's a while ago. So I've almost lived as long as I lived in South Africa in the United States. Um, when I got to the U.S., I just, just saw the incredible opportunity that the United States presented. I mean, the upward mobility for anybody that is willing to put in the hard yards, do the work, uh, the opportunity is incredible. And I think that sometimes when people are born uh, in the U.S., they forget, they forget yeah. that, right? Um, I looked at it and I was like, man, these folks literally want a lottery ticket being born here. Um, so the ton of opportunity, ton of upward mobility. Um, I actually played sports in the U.S. up until 2007, played in a, in a national rugby league. Um, and I know uh, both of us lived in Chicago at one time. So I was living in Chicago dear, during that time. What a great city, great people, great Hell food. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, I was traveling a lot around for, um, for, for sports. And I, you know, I had, a, I had a degree in history and economics. So I was reading a lot as we were traveling. You're either sitting on a plane or a team bus. So I started reading a ton of books. My mom actually gave me the book, uh, Robert K. Saki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which just completely changed my, my paradigm mm -hmm. and the way that I looked at things and really started my journey um, in researching different ways of building wealth because I realized there was a completely different way, not really shared that much out uh, in, you know, in, in general media or, or what you could consider mainstream, I guess, media. Yep. Um, so that started my journey on just researching how the 1% or the 0.01% plays this game of, of capital and, and wealth. Um, and I took action. I bought my first property probably within the first six months after finishing the book. Um, I put tenants in the property. I collected all the rent. I paid all of the expenses and boom, I had money left over at the end of the month. And I'm like, man, cash flow, just like in the book. <laughs> it works. Well, how many, how many times can I do this? This is crazy. Um, and that just really was a light bulb moment for me that there is actually a different way of doing this, which provides more control, right? Which is the big thing that the wealthy do. They have control mm -hmm. um, and they, they really, really value control. So I just felt like I had more control than just buying an Apple stock and hoping that the CEO knows what they're doing and the board appointed the right people around him, you know? Yep. Um, so that, that was a huge moment for me. And then um, I started to uh, in Chicago, I actually worked for a friend who had a massive uh, multifamily real estate portfolio. So I actually started, uh, working for him because I was unemployable at that stage, uh, traveling for most of the time playing sports. So I wanted to work to learn. So I started literally right at the bottom, picking up trash in multifamily apartment complexes, um, helping with apartment turnarounds, fixing it up, running construction crews, doing leasing, um, miscellaneous property management uh, to eventually uh, uh, managing uh, over 500 units at that stage, uh, dealing with vendors. And, and eventually I got my broker's license, became part of his acquisition team. And I really got an insight of how the game was played. Um, you know, when I was part of the, the acquisition team, I, I literally was chasing around a real estate investor that I knew that had a pretty sizable portfolio that he wanted to sell at some stage because um, he was 
he, uh, he you know, he, sto- he, he was he was looking for folks to buy it. Um, long story short, I couldn't get a hold of this guy for probably six to eight months. I walked into my friend's partner's office at like 730 in the morning. And that real estate investor just walked out, sold the entire portfolio. And here I was young, a young guy going, all right, this has to be a learning moment here. There has to be a coachable, a teachable moment. What just happened? Right. And what I started to realize was that the, there's a, the game, just like with the game that I was playing at that stage, rugby, um, there's different levels to this. And you have these folks that I call cash flow ninjas. They dominate their market. They crush it. They are the folks, the go-tos. If you're going to invest in that market, in that specific area, you would know about them. If you own property, you would probably contact them to buy it. Uh, if they don't buy it and hold it, if it doesn't fit into what they're doing, they're probably just going to flip it to an investor that they know mm-hmm. um, because they know all the other investors. They're mm-hmm. literally the dominant player. And I started to realize that you know, for a weekend warrior or a part-time investor, it's impossible to compete with these folks. So the yeah. next step then becomes, how do I partner with them? Um, and that was another light bulb moment because by partnering with cash loan engines, you get to invest in the best deals in the best markets. That's how you get it. I mean, it, there's an inside game everywhere else. The stock market, by the way, is a very inside game too. Uh, money being made in the pre-IPO phase. And those folks sell the stocks to all of the retirement funds when the stocks go public. Yeah. It's an inside game. Same thing with real estate. So I wanted to... I saw it and I wanted to play like the insiders play, find the best operators in the best markets and get access to the best deals. Um, And then the third light bulb moment, which I'll share is just putting it all together. You have to create a system and cash flow is the glue of the system of, you know, making and and creating capital, either as an employee, a self-employed person, a business owner, as an investor, positioning it and then deploying it for into passive investments but in the in the meantime it has to flow right so your cash flow management system is actually pretty important and that's where i studied banks because i think they've got it figured out uh banks and insurance companies so i i yep. i was really then pursuing and learning more of how to create my own banking system which i did over a decade ago because uh, i wanted to become my own banker and do what the bankers do um but that was kind of the third thing so um, yeah, fast forward to where I am today. Um, you know, I have a platform called Cashflow Ninja. We've been doing that since 2016. So what is that now? Six years. Um, interviewed, you know, over 800 uh, Cashflow Ninjas um, dur- during that time. Um, and our show has been, you know, now in 180 countries, downloaded millions of times. Um, we've turned it into an educational company. And then I've also got two other companies, one which we uh, which you mentioned, Producers Wealth, where we just help uh, investors and business owners, specifically in the United States, create their own banking system in uh, in 30 days or less. Gotcha. Wow. Well, that I love that. I mean, I love the story. I think great storyteller, putting some color into it and breaking it down in kind of key three light bulb moments, right? You bought that first single family, boom, cash flow. It can work. There's a different way, right? Yep. And you figured out, 
okay, yeah, that that's all well and good, but like anything, there's different levels uh, where you play, right? And there's people that are these cash flow ninjas, these great folks in any market, that insider game you talked about. So partnering with them to get best access to best deals and the best returns. And then three, creating a system. And it sounds like specifically a system become your own bank. So you can, yep. you can finance your own deals. So love that framework on breaking down um, how you do that and, and how your thought process has changed and evolved over time. Um, I think that that's really cool. And so, and just to highlight, I mean, you mentioned the podcast, but I mean, you're absolutely no slouch. I mean, you've uh, what top 48 podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs, like you said, 180 country millions of downloads. I know you've, you said 850 people or so you've interviewed. So I know you've learned a lot in that time and obviously providing valuable content because you're a ton of people are listening. So let's learn a little bit from that experience right now. When, when you interview these cash flow ninjas, you interview these, these ultra wealthy people, these super successful people in their space, right? What is it that they're doing differently than, you know, the average Joe? right? What, what sets them apart? Yep. That's a great, great question. And I'll, I'll share uh, a framework. I love frameworks. So there's essentially a framework that I've learned from all of these folks that, that have come on my show. Um, and I also like to keep things simple. So it's a simple framework uh, that a lot of folks can use um, and um, implement within their own lives. You know, you look at all these very ultra successful people and we're always slightly intimidated by them, right? And we don't think we can do what they are doing, but we can if we have a framework and we could just do it at a smaller level and it's already going to make huge changes within your own uh, wealth strategy. So the framework that I've, that I've seen with folks is they all have a way of creating capital, right? And essentially you create capital in the marketplace by delivering value, taking people from their current situation to a desired situation. And how you get them there, the transformation is the value creation. Um, and folks can do that in different um, capacities, right? Uh, Robert Kiyosaki's got a book, Cashflow Quadrant, where he talks about the four quadrants in which people operate in an economy. Mm -hmm. And the, essentially those four quadrants is the E for an employee, the S for a self-employed person, the B for a business owner, and the I for investor. So you do it in a certain capacity. So we all are familiar with that. Then the second part then becomes, where do you position capital? Where do you put the capital after you've created it? And that is, by the way, a lot of folks overlook this and just say, well, whatever, that's not, get to the good stuff. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of the most important things because as you go up in levels and sports it's the margins mean the most it's yep. literally in you know professional football or rugby it's a split second of somebody's feet moving this way or turning and that kind of way and now he's off balance and you can step him and move him it's the same kind of thing with wealth in the margins and there, there's a margin just right there of where you position your capital because you could position it effectively and efficiently so that your money is doing two things at the same time we all talk about, oh, you shouldn't work for money. Your money should be working for you. Mm -hmm. But how about it working in multiple places simultaneously, uh, efficiently and effectively and hard, hard mm -hmm. and smart, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the third part of the framework is um, cash flow creation. So after you've created it, you've positioned and protected it, 
um, now you can deploy it into to assets that generate income. Mm -hmm. So cash flow, but also you want to look at what does it do from a tax benefit standpoint? Um, what does it do from a potential upside potential standpoint, you know, appreciation and how much leverage is involved. And I'm not just talking about capital uh, as in the financial capital sense of it, but also the human capital. Can you leverage someone else's skill sets, uh, mindsets, um, knowledge, and their network and their access to capital in, in a cash flow deal? Yeah. Um, and then there's the, the other piece is the growth bucket. Everybody positioned themselves in certain areas of growth. And that's usually just looking at where we are in cycles, whether it be empire, whether it be economic, whether it be markets, um, and then also other trends. And then the final piece of this is uh, just, I call it capital control. It's essentially protecting everything, building a massive wall around everything that you produce and create, uh, that you position and that you deploy. Uh, and you do that through you know, if you think of how wealth gets eroded, and this is what the ultra wealthy really know, tax strategy. You can have as many properties as you want, but if you don't have a tax strategy, you're leaking cash mm -hmm. big time. Um, and then asset protection. You know, here's a fun fact. Real estate investors could get sued. <laughs> you know, so you, you want to be- Surprised. Yeah, you want to you be in a position that when that happens- uh, you're protected. And then from a, a just a legacy standpoint too, estate planning is huge. Why is estate planning huge? Because estate planning is essentially, you know, how the ultra wealthy look at it is contingency planning for the family. Mm -hmm. um, the same way that you would do in business. So think about it this way. If you have contingency planning set up for your business, does that change your mindset a little bit? Because if the worst case scenario happens, everything's already taken care of and planned for. The same thing with the family. Once a family, and this is another thing that I learned from ultra wealthy individuals and specifically uh, family offices, which manages the, the wealth of families that have over $100 million or more uh, in, in net worth. Um, it, it's a huge fa family contingency planning. And once you have all those things in place, then everybody knows what happens next in the event of a, a worst case scenario or somebody passes away. Uh, because essentially, you know, the transfer of assets, well, there's a lot of hands in between that, you know, yeah. from an estate planning standpoint. Yeah. So, um, which, by the way, that's how wealth get eroded from a lot of middle-class families and upper-class middle families. How do the wealthiest families just grow their net worth with each and every generation? They have a family contingency plan and a strategy for that. So that's kind of the framework um, of just what, and everyone can look at that framework and look at shortcomings and look what you need to have in place and look where you're a little slightly uh, inefficient uh, and not properly uh, set up yet. Yeah, I, I love that. I love frameworks as well. I think it makes it easy for people to kind of wrap their head around. So let me let me recap that real quick. So we talked about, First, you got to create the capital. Yep. Then you got to position the capital. Then you're using that capital to create cash flow, right? That's supplementing your living. There's a, there's a growth component to that. So you're understand. So cat. So it's like, is it cash flow on one side and kind of growth on the other side, and and the mixture between the two? 
Yeah, that, so you, you will have a cash flow, a cash flow bucket and a growth bucket. Yeah. In the growth bucket, for example, you would uh, capitalize on certain trends that you see out in the marketplace. Like, yeah. for example, a lot of folks are seeing there's a huge trend, obviously, with electric vehicles in the next yep. couple of years. So how do you position and invest to capitalize on that? Well, most folks would just buy Tesla stock, right? Now you're limited to one horse in a horse race. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. If you can position yourself in, I don't know, lithium, copper, silver, rare earth metals, uh, which is going to be used by all of these manufacturers uh, in manufacturing electrical vehicles, now you're betting on the rice itself um, and um, positioning you closer to where the action is and where, where really yeah. the upside potential for growth is because there'll be an enormous demand for all of those materials. I love that. I love that little little nugget takeaway. So you've got cash flow growth. You've got then obviously asset protection. I mean, you know, tax strategy and estate planning. So that's kind of now you've got it. How do you keep it right? How do you keep it from the government? The tax strategies. How do you keep it from other people trying to sue you? Asset protection, and how do you keep it in the family when you pass on? Right, and that's the the estate planning. So, yep, yeah. Did I, did I get everything there? Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's great. And, you know, we all start as real estate investors focusing and being laser focused in one area. Yeah, I did the same thing. And then I had a lot of blind spots. And it wasn't until I found mentors that said, you're focusing on one thing and you're, you have very tunnel vision. And that's good because that's actually how you become good at something and successful. And then you start doing well as a real estate investor. But then all of a sudden you start to realize, oh, wow, I focused on the one thing. I've acquired these properties, but that's about it. I have all these other pieces that I need to put together because those are potential blind spots that could impact the real estate big yep. time, which I work so hard for. So uh, it kind of just brings it all together. Um, you know, and, and, and that's the big thing that I always, you know, when I talk to, to um, real estate investors is, the importance of bringing it all together. I just want to say one more thing on capital positioning, the second part, because I kind of yeah. skipped over that a little bit because yeah. I wanted to give some uh, everyone just the, the full picture first. Capital positioning is cardinal, uh, and especially for, for real estate investors, because you can position capital where it could do many different things simultaneously. Yep. So, uh, for example, um, business owners do this very well. They know by investing a lot in their business and developing and growing their business, that uh, income of the business, the revenues, and also the assets of the business can be used as collateral to get future liquidity, more funding, whether it be a, a business line of credit, a business loan, and so forth. So think about it that way. Mm -hmm. From a business owner perspective, all right, a positioning capital in my business serves me because I, I have collateral now. Now think about other places. Real estate investors knows this very well too. A property, you can establish a line of credit, a HELOC against that, that property to access the equity without having to sell the property, cash out refi. So there's some more capital sources. So if you, for example, take a HELOC, you still have the one property generating income for you, doing one thing, but you've now used that credit line to go and acquire another property. 
without without having to sell the original property. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, gold, silver, art, a lot of wealthy individuals place that as collateral. That's used as collateral by a lot of financial institutions. So it's a source of, source of liquidity. Uh, some folks that have a certain type of stock portfolios, um, they are allowed the same thing. Um, most folks that looked into the, you know, speaking of about another South African, Elon Musk's per, uh, purchase or potential purchase or proposed per, purchase. I don't even know where we are with this yet. Right. But one of the ways that Elon was going to finance his purchase of Twitter um, was essentially placing Tesla shares as collateral. And he loves that strategy, by the way. Uh, he was in a lawsuit where this was disclosed, his position just on collateral with his Tesla shares and the loans against it back in, I think it was 2018 or something. So he loves that strategy. So instead of selling his Tesla shares, which was, will result in a taxable event for Elon, mm-hmm. he gets places the shares as collateral. And now he has a tax-free loan, yeah. essentially through that credit line. Yeah. Um, and you could do the same thing with crypto. Again, with stocks and crypto, b- just be aware that all I'm just giving a very a brief overview of the strategy. There's collateral, then there's margins that need to be maintained. There could be, you know, different collateral calls, all those kind of things. Um, my favorite one, of course, is the life insurance one, which we talk about infinite banking, where we structure insurance products specifically for cash value. So the money is inside of that life insurance policy, growing uninterrupted, compounding tax-free, mm-hmm. and you get to set up a credit line against it um, and use that money to then buy real estate with it. So you have money that's compounding in one vehicle, tax-free year after year, and in the other vehicle, you're essentially, um, well, yeah, you're, you're getting all the benefits from the real estate that you buy with it. So that one tweak right there of thinking how I position capital can make a huge difference just from a tax standpoint, right? And then the other thing is, if you are a real estate investor and you raise capital, have you ever spoken to potential investors about where they have potential, they could potentially access capital? Um, You know, I'll give an example. I, I actually did a presentation with a life insurance at a conference one year. There's a person that came up to me afterwards and said, are you saying that if I have this specifically designed insurance policy, which he did uh, a whole life policy structured correctly. Um, he had over a million dollars in it. Are you, he's like, are you saying I could access that through a credit line? I said, yes. He said, well, I have over a million dollars in there tax free. I said, well, you just found over a million dollars to invest in real estate if you wanted to, you know, so there, yeah, if that's huge. Yeah, if a real estate investor or somebody that's raising capital just have that conversation, you'll be shocked um, to find where people have capital that they didn't know that they can even access to deploy in other areas. Yeah, and I love that the aspect of you know you're you're trying to find as many ways as possible to get money working in multiple ways for you, right? And it's not only it's not only the investment that you make, but it's the vehicle you use to actually invest as well. And all this comes into that, that whole, that holistic strategy. And I'm glad you went back to positioning capital because that was actually where I wanted to go back um, as well. So we're definitely on the same page. I wanted to ask you a question about when, when we start to think about, again, how the wealthy do it differently, right? When I, when I talk to 
I talk to a lot of of folks that are, you know, that that are that are well off, but you know, have have made a lot made money through their career, right? W twos, and they're maxing out their four hundred one k, and they're doing this. And you, and you talk about, you know, where are they allocating assets? And a lot of it is, well, you know, we're one hundred percent in the stock market, right? Or we've got stocks and bonds, right? Means we're means we're diversified because we got stocks and bonds, right? <laughs> um, but I, I just think, I think there's more to it than that. So I wanted to understand your perspective of, you know, all the people you've interviewed, right? All the people that you've helped, how do the wealthy allocate assets differently? Like, what does it mean to them versus kind of, let's say, quote unquote, average Joe, right? Yep. That's a great question. So the first part that they allocated, and this is also a framework that we teach in four areas, essentially. So the first part is is cash. And this is funny. I, I mean, I get a, a blank stare when I say this to people or an eye roll. Um, <laughs> cash, it, cash, it can be great in markets where there's downturns or mm-hmm. cash can be great in, in, in case of emergencies. Liquidity is 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 huge. So and, and wealthy families understand that. So it's important to have cash in your portfolio and position it somewhere where you can access it. And of course, you know, that's stuff that we, we share with folks of how to create their own banking system, but cash is huge. And believe it or not, some of these very wealthy families, and I've got really good friends that are advisors to them in family offices, they understand the power of liquidity because if there is an event that's either an emergency there, t- that is a stabilizer in their entire portfolio. If there's an event that provides opportunities, well, you know, we all have heard, you know, the saying by when there's blood in the streets. Well, usually mm-hmm. when there's blood in the streets, no one has liquidity or access to cash. You need that to be able to buy when there's blood in the streets. <laughs> so that's the yeah, first absolutely. part of it. The second part of it is then also from an insurance standpoint of positioning yourself, um, you know, as far as wealth insurance. So things that are physical. So metals plays a role in, in their portfolio. Um, other commodities play uh, roles in, in, in their portfolio. Here's, a, here's something that that's just quite incredible uh, when you look at family offices. And this is one of the, um, the niches actually in my book, the 21 Best cash flow niches. Inside of uh, agriculture, there's like timber and more specifically teak, uh, an asset class of teak. A lot of them have, have you know, endowments, and I'm talking college endowments, like Ivy League college endowments, institutions, and so forth. They have a massive position in timber and teak, which is a commodity, something mm-hmm. physical. And if you think about it, what that does too is besides having metals, which is sort of like a wealth insurance. Um, it provides a stabilizing factor for them because I don't know what a trees do like five years ago. They just grew in 2020 when the world was going crazy, trees just grew. <laughs> trees are still you know? growing. <laughs> it was still growing. And it's, and it's actually a physical thing. It's a commodity. So um, with inflation, it benefits from inflation. It keeps up with inflation um, and it just grows. So 20 years ago, it just grew 50 years ago, 20 years from now, it's just going to grow down there. Mm-hmm. So it's very a very interesting way of thinking. So on the front end, cash, having some in, commodities in, in play. And then there's a cash flow portfolio. So for a lot of um, wealthy individuals, it could be the businesses that they're in. 
But then outside of the businesses, they diversify into certain cash flow niches. Um, if you look at insurance companies, by the way, anybody that wants to know uh, about creating and building wealth, you look at what insurance companies have done, and especially like the big mutual insurance companies, huge investors of real estate, equity and on the debt side. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, other uh, other cash flow niches where there's a there, there's a whole bunch of them, uh, but having diversified income streams, right? So you could be in real estate, but be diversified in certain parts in, in real estate. Um, so and you know, in my book, the 21 best cash flow niches, one of the reasons why I wrote that book was I wanted to give people ideas of different cash flow niches so that they can build out their own portfolio being diversified. Um, in, in different in different cash flow niches. So if something happens in one niche, you still have income coming in from other niches. Um, and then on the fourth side is the, the fourth area is growth. And this is an area, back to the example that I use of electric vehicles, that huge trend where they position themselves for that. Um, there's a lot of bottlenecks right now in the economy. Mm -hmm. Globally, I mean, globally since 2020, a lot of bottlenecks created by supply chain issues, bad policy, over-regulation, and, and, and so forth. So there's massive opportunities where folks can either enter positions short-term or they can do it long-term. You know, another area, which Jim Rogers is a huge investor, and he's been talking about this for a while, but is land and, of course, farmland, productive farmland. Because he can see that, all right, we've got a massive population globally that somehow we're going to have to feed everyone. Mm -hmm. So there's going to, there's going to have to be capital flows to that area to, in order to, to produce that and to continue to produce that. So that's an area. And then short-term example I can use of like energy bottlenecks, right? So when you have oil, you've got natural gas, you've got coal and nuclear, essentially those four areas, which is uranium. So that has essentially provided energy for the entire planet. Now, if you look at this as an investor or just an, as an observer, you can clearly see that there's a massive um, push to move the world from those four energy sources to a greener sort of, uh, you know, sources of energy such as solar, wind, mm. hydroelectric, that kind of stuff. There's only one problem for right now. You can't just shut down the one and switch it over to the other one because the infrastructure to support the other one doesn't exist yet, right? Yeah. Yep. So a lot of folks would look at that and say, "Oh, that's that is there's a huge imbalance there. There's a, there's going to be a bottleneck there. Clearly, there's going to be a bottleneck because you can't just switch off the one and switch over to the other one because the other one's still being built out. You're probably 10, 15 years away from the world being completely on the greener, quote unquote." energy sources but in the meantime maybe you could weed off from the one as you build off the other one for some reason we've just decided to shut off you know those four sources right. completely and they've started to turn them back on because otherwise you're going to be cold and sitting in the dark you yep. know without yep. without the ability to earn income so nuclear has come back on <clears throat> but what i'm what I, what I wanted to share with that insight is there's a lot of folks in our network that saw this coming and positioned themselves in oil, in natural gas, in coal, um, in uranium. And that's been a massive area for growth 
on a short-term level, obviously long-term, it's going to go over to the greener sustainable. And mm -hmm. that's, again, another opportunity, another trend. Um, so that's what I'm talking about growth. Crypto, the industry itself, not the coins, you know, our, we've talked a lot about different crypto strat strategies. So it's not necessarily buy a doggy coin and hope it goes to the moon um, because Elon's tweeting. No, <laughs> it's you're looking at like, you know, what has worked in other explosive uh, industries? You know, pick one. You could go as far back as the California gold rush, where the money really was made by the people that provide the shovels, the clothes like Levi and Strauss, yeah. the housing, the financial services like Wells Fargo. So uh, for crypto strategies, what a lot of these wealthy investors do, instead of buying a doggy coin and hope it moves, they find businesses that will be sort of the... Th those type of businesses in crypto. So an example would be, does anybody think that their taxes is going to be a problem in crypto at some stage? Of course, <laughs> of course, it's got mm -hmm. a bullseye. You have 87,000 IRS agents that's going to be going into crypto. So do you think that if you have a tax firm or you're invested in a tax firm as an investor, you're going to do okay? See, you haven't bought a coin and you're in the crypto industry. The same thing with you know, here's a here's a, a, a final example is how do you transfer a Bitcoin to, I don't know, your kids or your grandkids? I don't know. There's a lot of passwords and cold storage. Mm -hmm. There's someone already that's offering a service for that in estate plan. So they have a business in crypto and they go, well, we'll map out an estate plan. We keep the keys. We have a contingency plan, all those things. So they provide a solution to that problem. So that's how you can invest. So that's the growth bucket. So cash, yeah, uh, cash, just commodities, kind of like a wealth insurance kind of bucket, a cash flow portfolio, which is diversified. And then obviously uh, areas of growth uh, with huge upside potential. Yeah, I appreciate you laying that out. And so it's like my big takeaway is, right, I didn't hear much about stocks and bonds in that, right? I, I heard a lot of different other things. It just shows what a what a complete portfolio really looks like, right? Yep. And cash for liquidity to be able to take advantage of opportunities also uh, to limit risk in the case of emergency, right? I love the commodities, which, yeah, if you were in any commodities over the last couple of years, you've done very well. Um, that cash flow component of just real estate, we heard multiple types of real estate, right? Diversifying cash flow, things are going to be kicking off real cash, right? Whether it's something that's got, you know, a monthly or quarterly distribution, maybe, right? Where you're actually getting cash put in your pocket. And then growth. And I love the idea of, of thinking about, like you said, you're like, you want to, you're going to bet on the race, not, not the jockey, not the car, right? Like right. you're going to, you're going to win if that whole industry as a whole industry is successful because you're supplying something that that industry needs to grow. I think that's a really unique way to look at it and a smart way to look at it. So appreciate you sharing and outlining that for us. I think some really good takeaways there. Yeah. And, and one more comment too on the stocks, right? So what a lot of wealthy individuals do is again, back to that capital creation, it's mostly in their businesses. Mm -hmm. So they invest in their own businesses. Um, they don't, you know, they don't invest in Apple's business. They use Apple computers and Apple smartphones, Yeah, but Apple doesn't need their capital to grow. They have more cash than the U S government. 
and they still continue to lend um, and, 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 and borrow money. Um, but they look at it that well, just invest in my own business and then diversify it into hard assets such, such as real estate outside of it. When they do, and, and, and this is the thing, folks in our network too, that do really well in the financial markets, um, they're traders. So they're traders and they do pre-IPOs. So people that just buy and hold stocks, you provide the liquidity for traders, Mm-hmm. People that just buy and hold stocks and a lot of us retirement accounts, you're the folks that pre-IPO folks are selling to. Look, I mean, you pick your pre-IPO, Facebook, any of these companies, what happened to the stocks after they went public? I mean, it plummeted, it dumped. Mm-hmm. Why? Because all of the insiders were selling to the outsiders, right? right? right. So, so um, is there success to be had in financial markets? Yes, but it's a very different approach. Yeah. And the folks that trade, again, they're not weekend warriors or they don't do it part-time. They're professionals. Yeah. Uh, and they use the liquidity of the buy and hold folks, which is usually the bag holders too. So yeah. everyone on the inside knows that the folks that are holding the bag when everything goes down, they're the buy and hold folks. Right. And that just goes back to the what you outlined earlier of like, in every environment, there's this inside game that's going on. Yep. And you, if you want to be successful, you got to figure out how to get to be a part of that inside game. You're either becoming that expert or you're investing with that expert, right? But if you're just going the same way that everybody else is going, or you're being told to by, you know, whomever the commercials you see on TV, like there's that inside game that's going on above you, around you, like inside, right? I mean, it, go, it goes well, back I- to even like the... Um, I think about like the, the Michael Lewis book, like Flash Boys, right? When it was talking about the high frequency trading, like when, I, when all that came out, right? Yep. Understanding what's happening between and around the trades that, that, you, that you're doing, right? And how all that money is being made. So I love that idea of just there's this inside game, find the expert. That's the way to be successful. Invest with them or become the expert yourself. Um, but don't just take, I mean, everything you're saying, it just sounds like don't take the standard approach that everybody's kind of sold, right? There's all these different layers to it, which people can check out, you know, I'm sure as they look at more of your content, but it's just, you got to understand. I love just that aspect of it, of that inside game. And then how do you look at these different classes and say, how do you, you know, how do you become the expert? How do you invest with the expert? How do you spread it across all these different areas? Yeah, and there's different things that you do at different stages, right? So another inside game is the tax game, which is essentially the rule book for the game of capital and wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you don't understand and know the tax game, you're putting yourself on the opposite side of a compound interest equation. Think about it. If you're paying like 30%, let's just even, let's be generous, 20% of your income every year yeah, just uh, to to the government. And you don't address that to figure out to play the game better by their rule book legally, what does 20% look like compounded over five, 10, 15, 20, 30 years? That's why, I yeah. mean, this will, it blew my mind in family offices. I was invited in for a meeting. I sat in there. And again, these are like private wealth management firms of these families that have $100 million plus mm-hmm. of net worth just to work with them. And um, I was sitting inside of a strategy session. And the first thing that just blew my mind was, you know, we think of shiny thing. Oh, they're going to show this cool thing. or they are going to do this? And it's so basic, number one. And it was so driven by taxes. 
Like they had like four, you know, CPAs in there just talking about tax strategy. And my friend that invited me to the, the session afterwards, I said, wow, that was basically like a tax session. And he said the same thing to me. He said, think about it this way, MC. If we save them, this family, 20% on taxes, which there's a lot of zeros on the income and the net worth. Right. We save them 20% on taxes this year. What does that look like compounded over 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years? There's no return that they could get in the marketplace. And yeah. it's a wealth eroder. So there's an inside game on that too. So I think my big message for folks too, and you summed it up really well, is I know and understand that there is an inside game. Um, figure out how to get on the inside and have access to people that play the, play the game on the, on the inside uh, because that's how it's played at, at, the, at the highest level. And this is not, this is not the stuff that you're going to see on CNBC. They're not going to tell you how to reduce your tax bill. You that's know, right. By, by 20% right. or, you know, how to generate income for the rest of your life and pay less in taxes, make more money every year, pay less in taxes legally. They're going to give you a hot stock tip or something shiny or something fearful or something like that. That's right. Um, because they're on the inside. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, they're going to give you the hot stock tip. That's already that, you know, has already been traded by all the insiders and now you yep. should go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. I uh, got so much information. I think that folks are definitely need to go back, re-listen to the episode, break down these frameworks, like write this stuff down. It's super powerful. I think it's just a simple multi-layered strategy on do these things, pull these threads and, you know, you're going to build long-term wealth. So I love how you broke it all down for us. Um, before I let you go, I want to take us through our keys to success round, right? Four questions awesome. I want to ask you. The first one is if you were going to invest in somebody else's deal and you could only ask one question, what would that one question be? Who are the partner, your partners and who's your team? Uh, that's a good one. It all, it all comes back to the sponsor and who's in charge, right? Yep. All about the, the people you it's very tough to do uh, great deals with bad people. That's right. That makes, yeah, <laughs> it makes a ton of sense, right? It's common sense. What are you most proud of in your career? Uh, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's a very, very good question. I think the, the ability to share my job, journey i think because i think folks have um and we 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 build a uh, a huge audience because of it and i'm i'm proud that i did that because i was very vulnerable at that stage i think it's very vulnerable for anyone starting and opening up and talking and over the past six years people have connected uh and i almost feel like we've grown together so yeah i think that's one of the things that i'm that i'm that i'm most proud of and just folks have have been along now on the journey for you know, on the show for six years, other folks in my, in my wealth building journey for 20 years, but being consistent, uh, being the exact same person that you were when you started, um, mm -hmm. as far as integrity, as far as values, and as far as principles, obviously there's massive personal and mindset growth. Yeah, absolutely. What book should everybody read? Right now, everybody should be reading The Creature from Jekyll Island by uh, Mr. G. Edward Griffin. Yeah. And yeah, because uh, essentially what the book is about is what is money, how money works, how the monetary system works, and then also how the global financial system works. And he wrote that in the beginning of the 90s. 
-hmm. It is eerie. If you just, and I just skimmed through it the other day again, quick, because the last time I read it was probably five years ago. Yeah. But it's like literally what's happening right now. It's, yeah. it's pretty crazy, but it's yeah. a very insightful, very well-researched book on how all these things, things work because yeah, as an investor, you need to know what money is, how money works, how the monetary system work, how the global financial system work. Even if you're a real estate investor, because it's going to impact you as a, and as a real estate investor, one, one way, shape or form. And most folks just think of interest rates. It could impact you in many other different ways too. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it, it is a great book. It has been a number of years since I've read it. I should probably go back and skim it too, but you're right. Uh, it's just these cycles that continue over and over again and understanding those I think is super important. Re so really good recommendation. Lastly, what is your number one key to success? So um, the brand cash flow ninja, the ninja is actually, so my dad is a pretty famous, uh, well-known martial artist in karate. So he traveled around the world, I would say six to eight countries a year prior to 2020. Um, and one thing that I learned from my dad, and he's 74 years old, by the way, could still kick my butt. And I'm, a, I'm not a small guy, <laughs> but, uh, but he's, his approach is he pursues excellence in his craft daily. And that really stuck with me because I look at my craft as being a business owner and an investor. And there's no way you can ever, ever like know everything that you're supposed to know. The world is changing too. So what I try to do is just get better every single day. I get up and I get better in my craft as a business owner, as an investor and learn something and try to grow ev every single day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's the, that, that's, I think the thing that's been the key for me, because obviously there's been massive, massive, of setbacks and then you just start back from zero and you just start building it again every step of the way every single day um you know i'm from south africa so the joke is always how do you eat an elephant right one bite at a time mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so it's kind of the same thing just uh, by pursuing excellence every single day um it's it served me well and i will continue to do that i think there's a you know one of my mentors talked about the arrival syndrome which he talked about with knowledge where the majority of people around the world, when they have their college degree, they're like, all right, I'm done. I'm good. I know everything now. Or yeah. they take a course at work. I'm good. I don't need to learn anymore. I'm good. Um, it's, and he called it the arrival syndrome. So the counter to the arrival syndrome is, is every day, learn a lot, being a lifelong learner and just pursuing excellence in your craft daily. Yeah. I love that message. I, I agree that consistency, the lifelong learning, those are the keys to success. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with us. So MC, as we wrap things up here, man, you have shared a ton of awesome knowledge. If people want to dig deeper into what you are doing, learn more about your company, more about the frameworks, how can they find you? Cashflowninja.com. And if they want to learn more about uh, the how to create your own banking system, uh, they could go to your own banking system.com. It's your own banking system.com. Awesome. We'll, we'll make sure those are listed below. So folks can click and get access to you. And with that, man, I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on real estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. 
Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.